Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 16, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, through the past several chapters, we've seen the choices of King Saul, the decisions of King Saul. Remember, he's anointed of the Lord and the Holy Spirit was upon him. But then in the past several chapters, we see like, wow, that's off in the king. You know, there's something that's a little bit off. And in some cases, a lot of bit off. And remember, Israel became defiled. Remember Israel with the blood? They became defiled because of the decision and the choice and things that the king implemented. And as a result of the king's choices, what's happening is he's quenching the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit was upon him, but he's quenching the spirit. And that's something the Bible says, hey, don't do that. Do not quench the Holy Spirit of the Lord. And King Saul, he did it. And remember, the Lord is reactionary. The Lord responds. He's reactionary. The Lord responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. He responds to righteousness. He responds to wickedness. And he so beautifully responds to repentance. You see, and the Lord doesn't make robots. The Lord does not make robots. King Saul, he's free to live as he deems is right for him. So King Saul wants to quench his spirit. Okay, he makes his choice. He wants to quench. Okay. The Lord doesn't make robots. Does King Saul, does he yield to the Lord? Does King Saul think King Saul's way is the best? Or does he think God's way is the best? Or does he do like a little hybrid? Is a hybrid okay where it's a mix of his way and God's way? It's a mix of, oh, you know, King Saul thinks King, Saul, King Saul's way is good, but he likes what the Lord says about his. So, you know, a little, a little, a little mix a hybrid. And what we're seeing, you know, we're seeing in King Saul, an Old Testament example of lukewarm and being lukewarm. And when a person is lukewarm, you know, as new, as, as, as new, new, new covenant believers, you know, when, when, when the Bible says, you know, don't be lukewarm, do not be, you know, I wish you were hot or cold but because you are lukewarm. I will vomit you out. What happens when a person is lukewarm, it opens the door for something worse. I mean, when you see lukewarm, what that is, is that's quenching the spirit. And, you know, the door, you know, is, is open to extinguishing the spirit. And the Bible says, don't do that. And so in this Old Testament example of being lukewarm, where you see a little bit of Saul's way and a little bit of God's way, that's not good. That's not good. A little bit of man, a little bit of the Lord. That's not good. That's the lukewarm life. And it is also wickedness wickedness. And a person could say, well, wait a second, how can that be wickedness? You know, I have my, my conduct of living and you know, I like what the Bible says about this. So I do a little bit of that too. And the reason why it's wickedness is because a person knows, a person knows the Bible to discern the Bible to a level that says, well, you know, I like, you know, I'm going to read the Bible as a book of suggestions. I don't like what the Bible says about this, but this is okay. So I think I'm going to implement that. Now, when that happens, a person knows and then makes a choice to disobey, to disobey. And that's not good because you take a non-believer, you take a non-believer, you know, getting drunk with the sex, the drugs and things of the occult. You see, that's wickedness, but the non-believer, the non-believer is in a better position than the lukewarm. Because the non-believer doesn't know. Doesn't know. But for the believer, for the believer to do the exact same thing as the non-believer, 
you know, with the sex and the drugs and the occult and the drinking, you know, and all these things, for the, for the believer to do the exact same things, the believer is in a worse position. Why? Because he knows better. She knows better. The Lord is known. And the Lord's way is rejected. That's not good. That's lukewarm. That's why when you read passages of the Bible, certain passages about where it's better not to have known the Lord, better not to have known the Lord. Listen, it seems odd. Like, how can it be better? How can it be better for a person to have never known the Lord? Because what happens when a person is lukewarm, the Bible says, will be vomited out. And where there is a vomiting out, that's when a person is formerly in the body and then out of the body, being vomited out, you see? And then something else happens. A name becomes blotted out from the book of life, you see? Remember what happened last week, you know, in chapter 15 in our study last week in chapter 15 in verse 30, you know, when King Saul said to Samuel the prophet <clears throat> in chapter 15, verse 30, King Saul says, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. He doesn't say my God. He says that I may worship the Lord your God. And then we see also in verse 30, we see, so Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Saul worshiped the Lord. Oh, how nice. Oh, how nice. Look, the king, he's worshiping the Lord. How nice is that? Oh, look, God is love. How wonderful it is to see the king worship God. Wow, that's so nice. How could this possibly be a bad thing? How could this be a bad thing? How dare you suggest it's a bad thing? You must be a legalist. You must be a legalist. You want to be a legalist? You're so stupid. You're so stupid. We're the elect of God. And that's the mindset that was in Israel. We're the elect of God. You know, how could this be a bad thing for Saul to worship the Lord? But understand this. Worship of the Lord. Worship of the Lord in both covenants. You know, looking at the Bible, historically, Old Covenant and New Covenant. But not to say that we are to abide in the Old Covenant. But in both covenants, in both testaments. Worship of the Lord must always, 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 always be done in accordance to the Lord's blueprints. How the Lord instructs worship. Always. Always. Now, as New Covenant believers, we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. But at the same time, it's not to go back and do the Old Covenant form of worship. You see, and that's what that was the problem in the church of Galatia. How, you know, when Paul was blown away, Paul says, I'm blown away, you guys. He says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon, so soon from Jesus. As new covenant believers, we are to abide in Christ in the new covenant. You see, remember until the seed, the prophetically speaking, you know, well, prophetically speaking from Old Testament times until the seed. The law was added. The law is the additive because of sin, because of transgression. But prior to the law, you know, you don't see the Ten Commandments unto Abraham. You see? 
Very important to understand on this timeline of the things that the Lord put in place many, 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 many moons ago. Worship of the Lord. Worship of the Lord is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. But it must always be done in accordance to the word of God and what he teaches and how he he instructs us to worship him. Always. Because people have this idea. People have this idea. Remember last week in chapter 15, verse 30, Saul, the king, he's worshiping the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord. And it looks like that's a good thing. Oh, look, the king, he's worshiping the Lord. How nice is that? How nice is that? Look at what happens in Corinth. Remember our study in Corinth where, you know, where Paul, he says, listen, you guys, your rejoicing is not a good thing. How can that be for a group of people in the Corinthian church? They gather, they fellowship, they worship the Lord, they sing, they listen to a message, and they have church. How can that be for Paul to say, hey, you guys, you guys, your rejoicing is not a good thing. How can that be? How can we see Christians, when Brother James writes his letter, how can we see Christians where, you know, hey guys, hey guys, you know, we got a letter, we got a letter. Who's it from? It's from Brother James. Oh, awesome. Let's see what he has to say. And then somebody stands and reads it and Brother James is calling us adulterers and adulteresses. Whoa. How can it be for a church, for rejoicing not to be a good thing? How can it be for a church to hear the words, you are the adulterers and adulteresses? How can that be? Because remember, when we worship the Lord, it must always be done in accordance to the Word of God and what the Word of God teaches us about worshiping the Lord. Always. You see people, oh, you know what? I'm going to go to church today. I'm going to go to church today. It's like, wow, that's so cool. You're going to go to church. What are you going to do when you go to church? Oh, I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray to Mary. I'm going to pray to, you know, Saint whoever. I'm going to go, you know, light candles and do the mass. And then you hear Christians. You hear Christians. Oh, that's so nice. You're going to go to church. That's so nice. God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. It's like, wait a second, brother, sister. Hold on a second. Where does the Bible say to worship Mary? Where does the Bible say to pray to Mary? Where does the Bible say to worship and pray to angels? Mass? When a person does mass, what they're doing is they're praying for Mary to go down to to purgatory, something that's not even in the Bible, to, to, to go down to purgatory and rescue dead relatives so that Mary can take the dead relatives to heaven, to Jesus. That's what mass is. And then you have, oh, that's so nice. You're going to go to church. You're going to go to church. Listen, what kind of church is that? What kind of church is that? Because worship of the Lord, worship of the Lord, it has to be done with what the Bible says. Because we see King Saul here. He's worshiping the Lord. In chapter 15, verse 30. I mean, you know, so Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Like, wow, that's so cool. Saul, you know, King Saul, he's worshiping the Lord. That's a good thing. 
People sing that. Well, how, how can this be a bad thing for Saul to worship the Lord? How can that be a bad thing? But then when we understand formula, you start to see like, wow, you know, remember several chapters ago, we see like, wow, that's a little bit off in the king. That's a little bit off these behavior traits. That's a little bit off. And remember how we've been noticing it more and more. Well, that's a little bit off. And, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. It's like, well, that's a little bit off, king. Hey, king, that's a little bit off. Why are you, why are you behaving like this? And all of a sudden we see it get worse and worse. And he's still worshiping the Lord. You see? It's very important for all of us, you and me together. We have to understand formula, the holy formula. What the word of God teaches about worship unto the Lord. Why? So that you and me can worship unto the Lord. You see, and have effectuation of God's promises. And so let's look at verse one here, chapter, uh, chapter 16, First Samuel chapter 16 and verse one. Now the Lord said to Samuel, this beautiful intimacy, you know, God and his prophet, beautiful, beautiful Samuel. And remember, whenever you think of beautiful Samuel, old man Samuel here in chapter 16, but whenever you think of beautiful Samuel, don't forget beautiful mama. Do not forget beautiful, beautiful Hannah, when the Lord became forgotten, remember in the judges era, when the Lord became forgotten, even with the priesthood, remember Eli and his wicked sons, wicked Eli and his wicked sons, even in the priesthood, the Lord became forgotten, but not with mama and not with little Samuel and through his life enduring and, you know, even still he's enduring, but then here we are in chapter 16 and He's an old man. He's not, he's not a little boy anymore. He's an old man. And you see this intimacy. It gets even more intimate with the Lord. How beautiful to see. And so in verse 1, the, now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? How long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Whoa. You say, wait a second, I thought in chapter 15, we see the king, King Saul, he's worshiping the Lord. But then here in chapter 16, the Lord says, I have rejected him. How can that be? But the king, he's worshiping the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord. Surely that's a good thing. But he's worshiping the Lord in something that with carnal eyes, it appears to be good. But with eyes to see and ears to hear and understanding formula, it's like, wait a second. Hey, there's a disconnect, king. The formula in you, king, it's wrong. You say, wait a second. Chapter 15, he's worshiping the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord. Chapter, the next chapter, chapter 16 here in verse 1. I've rejected him. That's what the Lord says. That's powerful. And that's why when you see, like, when, when Paul says to the Corinthian saints, hey, you guys, your rejoicing isn't good, your rejoicing isn't good, you know, a person can have the perspective of, wow, Paul, that's so mean. How dare you say that? That's so mean. What do you mean? We're gathering here in fellowship, and you're telling us that's not a good thing? Surely this is a good thing. But Paul understands formula. And Paul knows that, hey, if the formula is wrong in an individual, what that can do to the body, it can leaven the bunch. And if the formula is wrong in the church, 
a person can be rejected. Just like what we see in Saul. Look, Saul's worshiping. Chapter 15, he's worshiping the Lord. That's a good thing. It appears to be a good thing. The very next chapter, I've rejected him. That's what the Lord says. I've rejected him. The person who's worshiping the Lord is rejected by the Lord. How can that be? And so Paul, when he tells the Christians, he tells the saints, he tells the church, your rejoicing isn't good. Because Paul knows, I don't want you to be rejected. Paul knows if if the formula is wrong, you're going to be rejected. And I don't want that. And that's why I'm telling you, your rejoicing is not good. It's not to say rejoicing in the Lord is bad. It's not to say that. It's to say you and me, we have to have the right formula inside of us for effectuation and at the same time so that when we rejoice we can rejoice in the lord and it's a sweet aroma unto the lord and not filth not a stench you see the same thing with brother james brother james people could be whoa how can you call us adulterers and adulterers brother james that's so mean in fact brother james that's so mean that you know god is love God is love. How dare you call us adulterers and adulteresses? In fact, you know what? We don't want to, we don't want to listen to you anymore, brother James. In fact, I'm not even going to call you brother anymore. We're not going to acknowledge you as a brother because you're so mean. God is love. But look, there's Alexander and Hymenaeus over here. We're going to we're going to have Alexander and Hymenaeus tickle our ears. And they're, you know, Alexander and Hymenaeus, they're going to tickle ears all right. They don't care about formula. You see? And Brother James knows, listen, if the formula is wrong in you, Christians, if the formula is wrong in you, my beautiful brothers, my beautiful sisters, if the formula is wrong in you and in fellowship, just like with King Saul, he was worshiping the Lord in chapter 15. And then we see the words of the Lord in this intimacy with Samuel, with Samuel and the Lord. And the Lord straight up tells him, I've rejected Saul. I've rejected Saul. And Saul is worshiping the Lord. And the Lord is straight up telling Samuel, I've rejected him. I mean, let's just put that in perspective. I mean, say, for example, we can see on a hilltop, we can see King Saul and he's worshiping the Lord. And it's like, wow, it has the appearance of, wow, that's a good thing. Look, the king is worshiping the Lord. But then we gaze on the other side and we can see Samuel, the prophet of the Lord. And we can hear what Samuel, what the Lord is saying to Samuel. And the Lord says to Samuel, I've rejected Saul. So with carnal eyes, we can see King Saul worshiping. It's like everybody's like, wow, that's so good. That's so good. But in this beautiful intimacy, the Lord is saying to Samuel, his messenger, his vessel, hey, I've rejected that guy. And this is what Paul knows. This is what James knows. This is what Peter knows. This is what John knows. This is what the prophets know. That's why Paul says, hey, you guys, your rejoicing isn't good. That's what Brother James says, you adulterers and adulteresses. 
Because if this continues where the formula is not right in you, if this continues where the formula is not right in the fellowship, look at what, what, how the door is opened to being rejected by the Lord. You see? These are no small things. These are absolutely no small things. And then you hear people say, Oh, Paul, you're so mean, you're so mean. And then, oh, Paul, don't listen to Paul. Remember all the saints in Asia? They left Paul. They left Paul. Why is that? Who tickled their ears? You see? Peter, when you when you look at the you know when we when we speak of these timelines, you know from the book of Acts, you know the book of Acts is very long. It's not like you know a two year time period. It's like you know forty some years. It's a it's a long book in terms of you know spanning the timeline. But then when you read the epistles and you plug them into certain eras within the book of Acts, you start to see when the church blows up, it gets like really big at the beginning. But then you start to see the falling away happen. Where, you know, Peter, you know, there's like, you know, thousands come to Christ. And then with Paul, you know, not as much as Peter. You start to see when when when, when Peter's, you know, Aeropagus, remember Aeropagus? If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in the book of Acts. And he would go and speak, you know, Aeropagus. But then at the same time, you see people would reject him. And you know, just a few would come to him. Hey, Paul, tell us more. Tell us more about this Jesus. And then you start to see, wow, Paul is, you know, he's held in such high esteem. But in the course of time, you start to see people start to leave him. All the saints in Asia, they left him. No one is with me, Paul says. Demas, all have left him. But he knows formula. Oh, you're so mean. Look, you know, Paul, Paul, call, Paul calls me, Paul calls me Levin. Paul calls me Levin and he kicked me out of the church. Paul calls me Levin. He tells Christians to separate from me. He's so mean. That's so hurtful. He's so mean. Okay, well, what'd you do? Why did he call you Levin? Well, I do my sex. No big deal. Well, I do, I do my extortion. I do my crack. I do my Ouija boards. I do my occult. No big deal. God is love. But Paul knows the formula. Paul knows formula. James knows formula. John knows formula. The prophets know formula. Because when the formula is wrong, look at what the door is, what look at what, what doors are open in the life of a believer. Remember, even the demons believe. Even the demons believe. Except the demons, they tremble. Where is the trembling among saints? Where is the fear of the Lord among the saints? And the Lord, in this intimacy with Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Now remember, this was not a setup job from the Lord. This was not a setup job from the Lord where, you know, so, so-called pastors, a lot of, you know, so-called pastors, they like to teach and say, they like to teach and say, well, you know, the, the, the Lord, this is a setup job from the Lord. How the, the, the Lord has predestined this destruction. Now, King Saul, what happens in the life of King Saul, it doesn't turn out well for him. And it doesn't turn out well for Israel under the leadership of King Saul. 
And so we see that seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, we already see that, you know, his kingdom, remember, you know, when the Lord says, you know, your rule would have been established, but because of your choices, no, it's going to go to another. You see, remember, the Lord is reactionary. But make sure you listen to the study called the marathon. The marathon, very important to understand the marathon. Because in this marathon of King Saul, he has a choice to make. He has a choice to make. Remember, Samuel the prophet, he has this pre-knowledge. He had the pre-knowledge that things won't turn out so well. But along the way in this marathon of King Saul and in the marathon of Israel, Samuel the prophet, he's hopeful. He's hopeful that the king would make the right choices. And when he sees that the king, like, wow, that's a little bit off. That's a little bit off. You know, these little behavior traits. Wow, that's, that's, that, that's inconducive with the ways of righteousness. And we see Samuel, he's in pain. Samuel hurts. He's been in pain. He's been mourning. And a lot of times people think, you know, oh, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord. Listen, there's nothing wrong with the joy of the Lord, but with deeper intimacy, there's something else. And it's the pain of the Lord. It's the suffering of the Lord. And it's the long-suffering of the Lord. And in this beautiful intimacy, we see with Samuel the prophet and the Lord, the Lord just asks a question to his friend, a friend of God. How long will you mourn for Saul? How long will you mourn for Saul? You see, God doesn't say, well, I predestined this destruction and you know, you're supposed to rejoice that it's me who's doing this destruction by my sovereign will. God doesn't say that. God doesn't say that, nor does God nullify the pain and hurt and suffering of his friend, old man Samuel, old man Samuel, a prophet of the Lord. The Lord doesn't nullify his hurt. And the Lord does say, sing, I have rejected Saul. And this is an interesting word in the Hebrew, ma'az, in the Hebrew, ma'az. It's to refuse and reject, but it's not without cause. It's to refuse and reject, and it's through a person becoming vile and reprobate. And that's how it translates in the Hebrew. And that's what we see in King Saul. <coughs> Excuse me. That's what we see in King Saul. And don't forget where we left off last week in chapter 15. And carnally speaking, carnally speaking, human eye, carnal eye can see Saul, can observe Saul. He's worshiping the Lord. Remember chapter 15? He's worshiping the Lord. That's a beautiful thing, right? Saul, the king, he's worshiping the Lord. But with eyes to see and ears to understand and a heart that can discern formula. We're on the in. We're on the in. You and me, we're on the in. Why? Because we, you know, Samuel has the pre-knowledge, but, you know, we've, we're reading about it and we also have the pre-knowledge. Saul is worshiping the Lord, but the Lord has rejected him. And the friend of God, Samuel the prophet, he's hurting. He's mourning. An old man, Samuel, prophet of the Lord. His job isn't over because what happens? He receives instruction from the Lord. 
When the Lord asks him, you know, how long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Something, you know, the Lord doesn't say, you know what? Why are you mourning? He doesn't nullify his mourning. No, Samuel the prophet, he's sad. When you read Paul's letters, you read Peter's letters, you read John's letters, you read James' letters. It's like, wait, these, these are sad men. These are sad people. It's like, wait a second, we're supposed to have the joy of the Lord. How can they be sad? But they're sad on account for the saints. Prophets of the Lord, sad on account for Israel. And the Lord says, fill your horn with oil and go. Fill your horn with oil and go. How long will you mourn? How long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I want to say something to qualified shepherds. Qualified shepherds, specifically pastors of these last days. The biblically qualified ones, the full package ones. Listen, you're going to hurt. You're going to hurt bad. You're going to be in pain. You're going to suffer. You will mourn. You're going to suffer long. You're going to see in your fellowship, it's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. As we progress further in the events of the last days, your fellowship will get smaller and smaller. People you love, people you fed, protected, and guided, they're going to turn against you. They're going to turn against the Lord. And what's going to happen, they will enter into apostasy. And the door of judgment for them, it's open. The door of wrath, it's open. The door of their name being removed from the book of life, it's open. Now that's between them and God. And it's sad. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt bad. Because you still love them. You still want them to turn from their ways. And for the qualified shepherds of the good shepherd... My message for you, fill your horn with oil. In the case of old man Samuel, the Lord gives him instructions on what to do. And for the qualified shepherds, yes, mourn, yes, weep. Because the pain, that pain, it's very real. And it hurts bad. But fill your horn with oil and wait on the Lord because the work's not over. The work is not over. And for old man Samuel, he receives instructions. Fill your horn with oil and go. Listen, this is what the word of God says here in, 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 in uh, uh, still in verse one. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Wow. You see what's happening? As New Covenant believers, this definitely raises some flags, the good flags, the good ones. Remember our study in Ruth? That very special and holy lineage. You see, things are happening here. Things are happening here in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Prophetic things. Things that are leading up to a special rule, a holy rule. And it's the rule of Jesus, the Messiah. Things are happening. But first things first. First things, first things first, because we understand there are precursory events that need to happen. 
precursory events. They've already been put in motion. But this is a biggie here, what's happening in verse 1. This is a biggie. Go to Bethlehem? Oh, that's a big deal. Go to Jesse? Whoa, that's a big deal. Because it's leading up. I mean, it's prophetic, but it's leading up to the rule of the Lord. And for Jesus, physically? I mean, here we are in 2023 AD. 2023 AD. And physically, for Jesus, you know, he's not crowned king. He is not yet crowned king by mankind. By mankind. Listen, he is not yet crowned king. The crown that he wore before, you know, when, when he was with mankind, the crown that he wore before, it was to mock him. It was at the mockery of both Jew and Gentile, and it was a crown of thorns. And by faith, you and me, Jesus is crowned king by faith. You and me, he is king in our hearts, in our lives. But there's coming a time, according to the law, according to the prophets, according to the apostles, when Jesus will be physically crowned. First things first. First things first. And in this mighty work of the Most High God, we see how the Lord uses his vessels. Because for beautiful Samuel, things that, you know, in verse, you know, how long will you mourn? You know, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Whoa, you know, this is a big deal. Not to suggest that, you know, previous calls of the Lord were not a big deal, but wow, old man Samuel. Old man Samuel, still running the race, still running the race. How beautiful it is to see beautiful Samuel running the race, but at the same time, the Lord using him. The Lord using him and the things that Samuel the prophet is included in, <laughs> whoa. I mean, this is like, you know, what an honor. What an honor to be included in this, in this, this, this lineage in terms of, you know, because he's, what he's going to do, he's going to anoint the king and that's a special lineage. It's a lineage that leads up and then, you know, holy seed and then boom, the birth of Jesus Christ. And remember when Israel, the, the religious leaders, the religious establishment, we have no king but Caesar, but by faith, you and me. Hey, he's our king. He's our king, Jesus Christ. King of kings and Lord of lords. There is none higher. Uh, there's the most high. But in terms of like, you know, you have presidents and prime ministers. And yes, they have power and you have kings all around the world. But pff, they're nothing. They're nothing compared to Jesus. But God the Father, the most high God, his only begotten son at his right hand. That's who we worship in spirit and in truth. You see? And the Lord just straight up tells Samuel, I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Very special lineage. The Lord provides for himself a king. And we see in verse 2, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Whoa, notice what's happening. King Saul is a threat now. 
the bad kind. He's not, you know, you see how Paul is a, is a threat. James is a threat, but those are the good threats. That's, you know, the, 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 the righteous threat, you know, upon, you know, like when, 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 uh, when, when Saul would go into the hornet's nest, he would go into synagogue and prove from the text, prove from the scrolls that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, you say, well, Paul's a threat. You see, Peter's a threat because, wow, you know, people are coming to Christ. Well, Peter's a threat. But then we see like, you know, the religious leaders, how they were also a threat to kill Paul, to kill Peter. They wanted to kill all the, 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 these workers of the Most High God, workers of the Lord. And so King Saul, he's the bad threat because he wants to kill Samuel the prophet. Very interesting what we see. And when you look at chapter 15 and chapter 16, Remember, remember the hills that we presented? One hill is chapter 15. The next hill is chapter 16. On one hill, you see, wow, King Saul, he's worshiping the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord. Wow, that's so that's so cool. Look, he's that's a good thing. Oh, elect of God. Wow, anointed of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is upon him. And yeah, it is true. Anointed of the Lord and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And look, the king, he's on, he's on the hill. He's worshiping God. Wow, that's a good thing. And then you look at the other hill and you see Samuel the prophet, old man Samuel the prophet. And the Lord is speaking, hey, I've rejected, I've rejected Saul the king. And look at the friction between the two because, you know, not on, not on account of Samuel, but Saul, you know, in verse 2, how can I go? The Lord, Samuel, in this intimacy with the Lord, Samuel straight up says to the Lord, how can I go? How can I go? Because if Saul hears it, hey, he's going to kill me. You see, Samuel and Saul, they were once close. They were once close. And now look. King Saul, he has quenched the spirit of the Lord. And as a result, he's become lukewarm. He's become reprobate. He's become rejected. And now he's a threat to Samuel because he wants to kill Samuel the prophet. Remember these behavior traits several chapters ago? It's like, wow, that's a little odd. I mean, we see like, wow, that's, there's he, the king does this, the king does that, the king does this. And it's like, well, you know, God is gracious and merciful. So, you know, that's okay. He can go ahead and do those things. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Remember what Paul says? Does that mean we can sin so that grace can abound? No way, exclamation point. Remember our study in Romans? Don't do that. Don't take advantage of God's grace and mercy because what happens, that's how hearts become hard. Oh yeah, I'm going to go do I'll, I'll do some crack. Oh, God is God is gracious and merciful. No big deal. I'll do my I'll do my crack and, you know, no big deal. I'll do my sex and Ouija boards. Oh, no big deal. God is gracious, he's merciful. God is love. You see? I'll go to the strippers, I'll go to the prostitutes, I'll do the pornography, you know, I'll do the, the Ouija boards, I'll do the yoga. You see? No big deal, you know, God is love, gracious, merciful. But what's happening is a heart is becoming harder and harder and harder. And as a result, the Holy Spirit is being quenched and quenched and quenched and quenched. And that's what we're, we're seeing in real time. We're seeing it happen with King Saul. 
He's quenching the spirit of God. Remember the hill? You look at the you look at the king on the hill. It's like, wow, he's worshiping the Lord. And, you know, we remember several chapters back where, wow, you know, he's anointed of the Lord. And, wow, look, he's the spirit of the Lord is upon him. But then in the course of time, wow, that's a little off, king. Why would you say that, king? Why would you behave like that? Why would you do that, king? Look, Israel, they're, they're eating blood. Why would you give that command, king? And all of a sudden you start to see, whoa, he's not only is he quenching the spirit, but you can see his heart has become so hard that he wants to kill Samuel. They were once close. They were once close. And now the king wants to kill Samuel. Wow. And these are things that the last day's generation must understand. Because... It's devastating. When a person becomes apostate, it is devastating. It is sad and it hurts. It is painful. And these are people that they're going to align themselves with Satan. They're going to align themselves with the Antichrist and false prophet and the mother of harlots. And it's going to seem right to them. It's going to seem right to them. And they might even have a form of worship unto the Lord, but they don't understand formula. Just like King Saul on the hill. Wow, look, the king is worshiping the Lord. Wow, that's a good thing. But the remnant knows, whoa, that is not a good thing. And these are people like the closeness that we see with Saul and Samuel, that closeness that we see now, all of a sudden, they're not close anymore because the king wants to kill, the king wants to kill Samuel. And these are things that are going to happen in the last days when a person becomes apostate. Now, it's not just, you know, like, boom, hey, this guy's apostate or boom, this lady's apostate. No, it happens in the course of time. You start to see these behavior traits, just like the king, just like the king, all that's a little bit off. Hey, brother, that's a little bit off. Why would you say that? Why would you behave that way? Hey, sister, why would you, you know, what's up with the crack? Hey, sister, what's up, what's up with the Ouija boards? And all of a sudden you start to see these behavior traits. That's a little bit off. And you're trying to correct, trying to help. Hey, don't do the Ouija boards. Hey, don't watch those dirty movies. And then a person says, oh, God is love. God is love. No big deal. He's gracious and merciful. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I'm good to go. You know, once saved, always saved. I'm good to go. And then a person makes their choice and you start to see, wow, their heart is getting harder and harder and harder. And remember, as a result of not loving truth, what happens? Strong delusion. And then you start to see, wow, that he's becoming crazy. Whoa, she's becoming crazy. And the whole time, they're still going to church. They still go to church. It's like, whoa, is that, that kind of, that church kind of looks like loud to say it now. You see? You speak, a, a, you speak, you say something against that, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. This, this transition that we see in King Saul, how King Saul is transitioning, it's going to happen in the last days. You know, just like Jesus says, you know, those under your own roof. A man's enemies will be those in his own house. 
These are things that will come to pass. It's gonna, it's the whole time it's gonna seem right to them. And when we speak of apostasy, I mean apostasy is bad. Apostasy is apostasy is not good. But at the same time, when we account for the it is also written, we see how a person becomes apostate. You know, you know, the def- remember the defunct of Corinth, the defunct pastors, the defunct shepherds, the defunct so-called shepherds, the defunct so-called pastors, the pastors, the overseers. This is something that Chloe knew about. Chloe knew like, hey, I'm going to try out this church. Hey, I can't submit to this, this pastor. He's a freak show. Hey, I can't submit to this other pastor. No, he's a freak show. So what does she do? Home fellowship. Beautiful, beautiful home fellowship. Women's studies. Women's Bible groups. So beautiful to see. And they were the the ones who alerted Paul. Hey, Paul, something's, something's wrong here in Corinth. Something's wrong here in Corinth. And Paul writes a letter back. Hey, your rejoicing is not good, you guys. And then Paul says to the remnant, he says, separate from the leaven. Now, in order for people to separate from leaven, there needs to be discerning to identify, hey, that's leaven. And you see leaven after three years, uncorrected sin. Uncorrected sin with the sex and the the extortion and the alcohol. And you start to see after three years, three years, the pastors said nothing to them. And the whole thing could have been prevented. I mean, you could see Corinth, you know, how much do we desire? Like, I wish Corinth was like Philippi. I wish Corinth was like Philippi. Remember the the love-hate relationship that I have with Corinth. I love that it's captured in the word of God, but I hate that we see the works of the flesh that, that we see and the very fact that we see the leaven and the very fact that we see the impact of the leaven. And the defunct pastors, pastors, so-called shepherds, for three years, they said nothing. For three years, they said nothing. I mean, look at today, pastors, after 20 years, they say nothing. But for three years, they say nothing in Corinth. And you start to see the works of the flesh, the sex, the extortion, the alcohol. And then all of a sudden, because of the works of the flesh, then you see the transition into leaven. Leaven, not good. And then from leaven, a. It's not to say that a person who's leaven, remember the example we gave where you and me, we got, you know, nobody wants to hang out with us anymore. We do our, you know, the the, the alcohol and the crack and, you know, you know Paul, the, 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 the people receive a letter, you know, we receive a letter from, from, from Paul and, you know, here we are with our alcohol, you know, we get drunk every Friday night, every Saturday night, and we go to church on Sunday. Hey, we got a letter from Paul. And all of a sudden they say, hey, you know, we're not going to fellowship with you anymore. You and me with our with our alcohol. We do our alcohol every Friday, every Saturday. We get drunk, and all of a sudden, you know, hey, they meet and hey, can can we fellowship with you guys? No, I'm sorry. You know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna submit ourselves to Paul. We're gonna submit ourselves to Paul, and he told us that you know we have to separate from you, and so we're gonna separate from you because Paul says you're leaven, and you know he's got a point because hey, we see you every Friday, every Saturday. You know, he's got a point. We see you, you know, pass that on the sidewalk. We see you pass that on the street. We see you pass that on the park. We see you pass that on the on the bench. We see so hey. 
I love you, but hey, we're not going to fellowship with you. And, you know, I, I would love to bear those burdens. I would like my children to help you. And I'd like to have this fellowship. But, hey, hey, that's not happening because you're living. And instead of, you know, us influencing one another, those works of the flesh, they're going to influence us. So, hey, you know, we're just going to sit to Paul. And Paul says, hey, you know, separate. So, sorry. And so you and me, here we are walking on the street. It's Friday night and normally we get drunk. And Friday night, it's like, wow, you know what? It's come at a heavy cost because those people who fellowship, it's not, it's not a big church anymore. It's a tiny church. I, I like them, you know, I love them. Then I look at you and say, I love them. You look at me and say, hey, you know what? I love them too. And it's Friday night and normally we get drunk. But wow, you know what? It's the thought of alcohol. It's kind of gross now because what it cost us. And when you look at the bar, you know, we see the other people. Oh, look, they got kicked out of the church too. And there they are getting drunk. We're walking on the street. You see the guy doing this crack, you know, on the street corner. And it's like, wow, you know, he, he used to go to church too. And they separated from him too. And for you and me, it hurts. It's like, wow, you know, that, that whole lifestyle, it just, it came at a great cost. And I love these people. I love the Lord. And they're like my family. I look at you, you look at me, like they're like my family too. Then we remember the words of Paul. Remember how Paul would always tell us that we have to repent so that we can be clean, so that we can be pure before the Lord? Yeah, I remember. Remember Chloe? I thought she was so dumb, you know. I thought Chloe was such a legalist, you know. I'm getting drunk and she doesn't want to hang out with me. You know, and I look at you, you look at me like, yeah, that Chloe, you know, she was so, I used to call her a legalist. She was so stupid, but she got a point. She was right. We should have listened to Chloe. She was trying to help us. Little did we know, she, we thought she was so mean. We called her a legalist. We thought she was so dumb, but she was trying to help us. And now look, we're Levin. We're leaven. We were dangerous to be in the fellowship. Not the good dangerous, the bad dangerous. We were the bad dangerous. And we get it now. Remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians? Hey, bring them back in. And that's you and me. Formerly alcoholics. Formerly alcoholics. Formerly separated from the remnant. And now in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, uh, all of a sudden, hey, bring them back in. You see, we've learned through that, through that pain, we learned. And it's so powerful when, when a person becomes leaven, but at the same time to understand what happens for leaven to become pure again. To become holy again. Effectuation of God's promises. You see? And only the clean can clean. And these are things that the last days, Christian, we have to understand how these things play out because it's going to be on overdrive in the last days. Believers, they're going to be a threat. The apostate, 
be apostate. They're going to be a threat. Because, you know, you say, if they're apostate, how can you call them believers? Because listen, even the demons believe. But they do not obey the instruction of the Lord. They obey the Lord. When the Lord says, hey, come out of him. Hey, come out of her. They obey the Lord there. But they do not obey his instructions. You see, in terms of like, you know, his rules of conduct. They do not. Because they're wicked. They serve Satan. These are things that are going to happen in the last days. On over, it's always, it's always been happening, but it's going to be big time in the last days. It's going to be on overdrive in the last days. And so, Samuel the prophet, in this intimacy with the Lord, how can I go? The Lord says, "Go." How can I go? If Saul hears, he will kill me. And I love this so much. Look, and the Lord said, "Take a heifer with you." I mean, <laughs> how? How? Be- I love this so much because God doesn't say, you know, you know, how can I go? Because, you know, if I go, Saul, he's going to hear it and he's going to kill me. And the Lord doesn't say, hey, just, just take a bat with you. Take a pipe with you. Take a rifle with you. Take a machete with you. No, the Lord doesn't say that. Saul says, hey, he's, they're gonna kill, he's going to kill me. And the Lord says, take a heifer with you. You see, the Lord, he's giving very, very precise instructions. Take a heifer. Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. In verse 3, then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. And this blows me away so much. To see this real-time instruction on Samuel the prophet, but at the same time to think about the modern-day missionary, the modern-day so-called missionary. You know, the, the modern-day missionary, they want, they want to know the intricacies of the mission. They want to work out the logistics. They want to work out, you know, the funding, you know, they'll contact believers and then they'll give a guilt trip, you know, they'll give you a phone call, you hear your phone ring, you know, you know, ring, ring, you hear your phone and then you pick up, you know, hello. And then, you know, it's the, is a, hey, you know, I'm a missionary. The Lord has called me to, you know, go to this part of the world. And, you know, I worked out the logistic and, you know, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you're going to send me a hundred dollars a month. What do you say? Do you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing? Do you want to help fund this work of the Lord? And I'm calling all these people because I need a total of, you know, $6,000 a month. So I can afford housing. I can, you know, fund my retirement. I can, do you know, have all these things. It's like, wait a second. When you read the Bible, you see real-time instructions on real-time instruction on those the Lord has called. And then you look at the modern-day missionary. You know, do you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing? They give you the guilt trip. When we read the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, we see God sending his vessels for his work, the work of the Lord. There's no logistics. There's no logistics. There's no provisions according to the flesh, according to the human mind and human intellect and human logic. Because we see like straight up real time instruction. Do this, do that. Go here, turn here, turn there in real time. And so Samuel the prophet, Saul is going to kill me. The Lord says, hey, take a heifer. Take a heifer. And in verse 3, this is what you do. And I'm going to show you more of what you shall do. And now Samuel, he has a choice. Samuel the prophet, he has a choice. To obey or not to obey. And we understand that the friends of God, the friends of the Lord, they always obey the Lord. 
I mean, if they're a friend of God, they obey the Lord. If they don't obey the Lord, hey, they're not a friend of God. You see? And in verse 4, so Samuel, he did what the Lord said. So Samuel did what the Lord said. You see? So simple. So simple. Okay, Lord, you say this, I'm going to do it. And I love in this beautiful intimacy that, you know, when, 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 when Samuel says, well, wait a second, you know, he's, he's, Saul, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. And, you know, the Lord doesn't strike him down with, you know, lightning. You know, how dare you question me? No, you see this in this intimacy that the Lord gives him instruction. Hey, take a heifer. It reminds me of Ananias in the book of Acts. The good Ananias, not the bad Ananias that lied to the spirit. The good Ananias when the Lord says, hey, this guy... Saul, you know, whose, whose name was uh, Paul, who became Paul, but Saul, hey, bring him into your house. <laughs> and you, you see Ananias, like, you know, kind of like, you know, not like it, it wasn't a flat out no, but, you know, Ananias says, okay, Lord, uh, do, do you know, Lord, uh, you know, do you know what Saul does? You know, he kills Christians. He imprisons Christians. Do you know what he does? And the Lord is like, you know, how dare you question me? And boom, lightning strike and, you know, say goodnight, Ananias. No, that doesn't happen. And you see how the Lord is giving instruction to Ananias? No, bring him into your home because this guy who, yeah, he did those things. But at the same time, he is my vessel. He is my vessel. And I'm going to use him to go into the to go to the Gentiles. He is my vessel for the Gentiles. And what's so beautiful about Ananias? I mean, Ananias, he was on the inn. I mean, before Paul knew what he was going to do, Ananias knew. The Lord told Ananias, hey, Paul, he's my vessel, and I'm going to use him to the Gentiles. And this is something in, 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 in real time, Paul learns down the road. But Ananias, he, I mean, he, he knew about it because the Lord told him. You see, real-time instruction. Real-time instruction. And that comes in intimacy and through intimacy with the Lord. So the Lord says, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. In verse 3, then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. You see? So beautiful. So beautiful. This real-time instruction. Real-time instruction. And in verse 4, so Samuel did what the Lord said. Very beautiful. So simple, but don't forget, very intricate. And for us today, we have to test the spirits. We have to test the spirits. And we have to account for the, it is also written. And so in verse 4, Samuel does what the Lord says, and went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? In the Hebrew translate says the elders, they were afraid. Remember, the elders, the people, they were on board with King Saul. They were on board with King Saul. They have the king that they wanted. Samuel was against it. And don't forget, the people wanted to kill Samuel. Remember several chapters ago, they wanted to kill Samuel. And it was King Saul who interceded. But now, even Saul is a threat to Samuel. But that doesn't change. That doesn't change the, the credence of Samuel. It doesn't change the credo of Samuel. It doesn't change his principles and his stand and his intimacy with the Lord. And the elders, they know who Samuel is. They know his walk from a very young age. Remember in the earlier chapters of 1 Samuel, how the people, they knew that the Lord was with Samuel and that Samuel was with the Lord. They knew about that intimacy. And in verse 5, and he said, 
peaceably. So they asked him, you know, they were, they were trembling at his coming. You know, do you come peaceably? And we see in verse 5, and he said, peaceably. Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Just, just like the Lord told him, tell him, you know, take a heifer with you. And so, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. This is exactly what the Lord told him. Real-time instruction. And in verse 6, so it was when they came that he took Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, in chapter 17, not to get ahead of ourselves, but in chapter 17 and verse 28, we learn that Eliab is the older brother of David, the firstborn of Jesse. The firstborn of Jesse, the older brother of David. And we see that Samuel, he in verse 1, we see that Samuel knows that the Lord's anointed is from the house of Jesse. And Samuel the prophet, he's making this observation with Eliab. Surely this is the one. Surely this is the one. And in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have refused him. You see? That's what the people did with Saul, King Saul. Remember when in the earlier chapters, no one was more handsome. King Saul, I mean, I got to give it to him, you know, not to say that, you know, the outward appearance is anything, but, you know, you know, he was, there was no one more handsome than King Saul. Very tall. And even Samuel the prophet with Eliab thought, surely the Lord's anointed is Eliab. And I love to see this intimacy, God and Samuel. Because God is giving him real-time guidance, real-time guidance, where, you know, God is straight up saying, you know, appearance and height, hey, these are irrelevant, Samuel. Appearance, I don't care what he looks like. Height, I don't care how tall he is. These are irrelevant. And we see in verse 7, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So beautiful. And sometimes we can get stuck in a rut. Sometimes we can get stuck in a rut. Even, you know, small fellowships, you know. Oh, we're so small in number. What would, what can we do? You know, oh, look, our fellowship, we're just 15 people. What can we do? Hey, look at our fellowship, we're just 10 people. What can we do? Hey, look at our fellowship, we're just five people. Hey, look at our fellowship, we're just two people. What can we do? We're just two. What can we do? But when we read the Bible, look what the Lord does in and through just one, just two, just 11, which became 12. Look what the Lord does. I mean, sometimes even with kids, Kids can easily think, you know, what can I do for the Lord? I'm just a kid. And for my younger brothers and sisters in Christ, praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. Because as a kid, praise be to the Lord. Because you don't have the baggage of the adult world. You don't have the baggage that comes, you know, somebody who's like 40, 50, somebody who's even 30. You know, they got a lot of baggage because, you know, they, they, their exposure into the world, the world has corrupted them. 
I like, you know, you're, you're, you're closer to being born. I mean, the younger you are, the better, because the younger you are, you're closer to being born, which your exposure to the corrupt world has less of an impact on you. And sometimes I have these conversations with kids like, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm only 10 years old. I'm only 12 years old. I'm only 13 years old. What can I do for the Lord? What can I do for the Lord? I'm just a kid. I'm just a girl. I'm just a boy. What can I do for the Lord? You can rejoice because number one, you don't have the baggage of the adult world. But then number two, the Lord looks at the heart. He doesn't look about outward appearance. He doesn't care how old you are. He doesn't care how tall you are. He doesn't care what you look like. He looks at the heart. You see? And so Jesse called Abinadab and made, in verse 8, Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And so now Samuel has, you know, undergone some fine-tuning by the Lord because Samuel thought, wow, you know, surely it's this guy. And the Lord says, hey, hey, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't look at the, the you know, I look at the heart. The Lord, you know, the, the, a little fine-tuning, making sure Samuel's on, you know, the right frequency. I mean, he's on the right frequency, but it's some fine-tuning, super right frequency. And so now Samuel, he, de- he doesn't see as man sees. And so now, you know, Abinadab, he passed it before Samuel. Hey, neither has the Lord chosen this one. The dad, Jesse, he's having his sons walk by Samuel the prophet for review, if you will. And in verse 9, then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. So all the sons are presented. They've all passed by Samuel and none of them are chosen by God. None of them are chosen by God. I mean, when I say all the sons, that's all the sons presented. Was the word of the Lord wrong? Did Samuel make a mistake? Not at all. Because remember, the Lord told him, hey, it's from Jesse. It's from Jesse. And so here we are with Jesse, and Jesse is having his sons, you know, hey, firstborn, hey, secondborn, hey, thirdborn. Go and walk by Samuel the prophet. And it's none. Does that make, does that mean that the Lord made a mistake? Did Samuel make a mistake? No way. In verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest. I love that. The youngest. There remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. Now remember, they were going to sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel had invited Jesse, you know, and says, hey, bring your sons. This is all instruction by the Lord. And the Lord says, hey, make a sacrifice. You know, take a heifer with you. Make a sacrifice. Hey, and bring Jesse. And so Samuel is doing exactly that. And Jesse obliges, brings his sons, but he leaves out the youngest. Oh, he's just a kid. He's just a kid. Depending on, you know, the schools of thought, the age range of this youngest is between 10 and 16. 10 and 16 years old. They're different, you know. There's no definitive, like, you know, oh, he was, you know, 13 and a half. No. 10 and 16. In that, that's the window of... 
what the scholars say his his age was. I'm not going to get into huge debate on, you know, oh, he was 11 and, you know, one eighth of a year. No, 10 to 16. He was a kid. And I don't want to paint Jesse in a negative light at all. Yeah, well, I do not want to paint him in a negative light because I'm so in love with that lineage. And even Samuel's initial thought was according to human thinking. Surely it's Eliab, the firstborn. Even Samuel, the prophet, thought so. But the Lord, in the intimacy that they have, the Lord told them, hey, don't think that way, Samuel. Don't think like man. Think like me. I look at the heart. The Lord told Samuel, hey, don't think like man. Think like me. And with me, I look at the heart. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care how tall he is. I don't care how short he is. If he's a little bit chubby, I don't care. His complexion, I don't care. Because I look at the heart. And so the dad, Jesse, he points in the distance. You know, he has, is, there, is, there, is this all the kids? Are these all your sons? Are these, is this everybody? And the dad points in the distance. Oh, there, there's my youngest. There he is. He's the youngest. And he's keeping the sheep. How beautiful it is to see this youngest son, what he's occupied with. He's shepherding. He's keeping the flock. And I want to say something to my younger brothers and sisters in Christ. Teenagers and even younger. Maybe 10 to 16 in that age range. Maybe even younger. You might think, my beautiful, beautiful brothers, my beautiful, beautiful sisters, I love you. If you ever have in your mind, you know, what can I do? I'm just a kid. I'm just a kid. What can I do? Listen, you might even be excluded from a lot of things that the, the older people do. Oh, we're the adults. We're the adults. You might even be excluded by a parent who dismisses you as insignificant. Maybe you're the runt of the family. And if this is you, young one, let me tell you something. So what? Straight up. So what? Oh, I'm just a kid. And? So what? Oh, I'm the runt of the family. So what? My parents, they dismiss me. They, 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 I'm always excluded from this and that. And the adults do their thing. So what? So you're runt. So you're excluded. So you're dismissed by a parent or parents, older brothers, older sisters. So what? And I don't mean to sound cruel in saying that, you know, but what of it? Straight up. Because the Lord sees the heart. The Lord sees the heart. The Lord sees your heart. And you think he doesn't know? You think he doesn't know? Because your heart, my beautiful younger brother, my beautiful younger sister, your heart, 
might be the very thing he's looking for. When the Lord looks at the heart, I mean, I don't want to get graphic or anything, but you know, you take a lineup of like a thousand people, you're going to see, okay, you know, that guy's chubby, you know, this lady's chubby, you know, this guy has a dark complexion, this lady has a light complexion, this lady is like super light complexion, you know, and like, you know, blue eyes and, you know, uh, uh, brown eyes and hazel, okay, this guy dresses nice, this lady dresses nice, this guy dresses like a schlep, and this lady dresses like a schlep, and you you know, this guy's short, this guy's tall. You're going to see all kinds of variety. You know, this guy's bald, this guy's old, this guy's wrinkles, this has super wrinkles, this guy's super duper wrinkles. You're going to see like, well, you know, there's guys in a wheelchair. You're going to see all kinds of different things. But then if you were to take out the heart, not to get graphic, but if you were to take their hearts, you know, <laughs> not to get graphic, but if you were to take their hearts, hey, they would all look the same. You wouldn't be able to see, like, you know, you wouldn't be able to discern, you know, wheelchair. You know, this is the heart of the bald guy. You know, this is the heart of the 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 the, the, the lady with, you know, hazel eyes. Oh, you know, this is the the the, the super pale uh, uh, complected guy. You know, you're not going to be able to discern it. You're just going to see, oh, there's a heart. And the Lord, he sees the heart. He sees the heart. The motives. He sees it all. And your heart. And I have these conversations with kids sometimes. Oh, I'm just the runt of the family. So? So what? And not to be mean. You know, I mean, sometimes when I have these conversations with kids, it's like, you know, they're like super, super tender. And I don't mean to be like, so what? Like to, to, to nullify how you feel. But so what? I mean, even, even Jesse, you know, when Samuel comes to town and says, oh, you know, I'm going to invite you to the sacrifice and, you know, bring your sons. Even his dad, even Jesse, even Jesse says, okay, I'll bring my sons. But the youngest, eh, this doesn't apply to him. We're going we're gonna to do the, the adult stuff. We're going to do stuff that pertains to the older people. So we'll come see you, Samuel. And then Samuel, he's in tune with the Lord. He's, you know, right frequency, his intimacy with the Lord and he doesn't say, you know, did the Lord make a mistake? Did I discern wrong? Did the Lord make a mistake? No, the Lord doesn't make mistakes. And so he asked Jesse, the dad, is this everybody? You sure this is everybody? And then Jesse, well, you see way off in the distance, you see those animals. And, you know, yeah, I see the animals. Okay, you see the animals. And you see that little, little figure over there. You see that little, you kind of see him walking a little bit. You see that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I see that. That's my youngest. That's my youngest. And he's shepherding the flock. You see? He's tending the flock. And for my young brothers, my young sisters, you might be excluded exactly like David was excluded. So what? So what? We honor the Lord. We please the Lord. We desire to be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. And if you're a runt, hey, be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. If you're excluded, hey, be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. And so David, you know, there he is shepherding. And we know the Lord looks at the heart. And for my younger brothers, my younger sisters in Christ, whom I love, I wonder, I wonder if the Lord is looking at you 
right here, right now, point blank. I wonder if the Lord is looking at you. You might be eight years old. You might be five years old. You might be 16. You might be 17. But I wonder if the Lord is looking at you and considering, you know what? I could use a boy like that. I could use a girl like that. I wonder, I wonder. You know, do, do the adults think you're a runt? Do the adults think you're insignificant? That's nice. That's nice. Listen, let me tell you something. Most adults are completely blind anyway. Most adults are oblivious to holy matters. Remember what our Lord said to the adults in our study in Mark? He says the adults, hey, you, instead of, oh, you know, these are just the little runs, the little runs. And the Lord says, hey, you got to be like the runs. You got to be like the children. You see? And so Jesse, the dad, you know, who excluded his youngest, he points to the youngest in the distance and he's tending the flock. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. Verse 11, send and bring him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. I love that so much. I love that so much that, you know what? If the older brothers thought, oh, you know, he's just the youngest. He's the runt. Even the dad, if he thinks, oh, he's just the youngest. What can he do? He's just the runt. He could just tend the sheep. You know, no big deal. He could just tend the sheep. Hey, tending the sheep to the Lord? Hey, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. And I love the intimacy of Samuel with the Lord because Samuel says, hey, we're not going to sit down until that little guy, that little runt, that little guy in the distance that's been excluded, that guy, until he comes here, we're not going to sit down. I love that. You know what this reminds me of? The rugby match from our study in Romans. Remember our study in Romans? This reminds me of the rugby match. I love this so much because you see the inclusion, the inclusion. And sometimes you see that in fellowships where like the kids are like, you know, hey, kids, go over here and go color your books and do all these things. Oh, hey, kids, you know, if the Lord were to task me and say like, hey, assemble like mighty warriors for a last day's fight, a last day's fight, assemble warriors. Let me tell you something. There'd be a lot of women and there would be a lot of children and like two guys, two men, two adult men. A lot of women, a lot of children, and like two adult men. So, you know, if you're a kid and you think like, well, I'm just a runt. Praise be to the Lord. Runts can do some serious damage, the good damage. You see? And so we see here in verse 11, you know, send and bring him for we will not sit down till he comes here. In verse 12, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. Now in the Hebrew, it's ruddy is like reddish or rosy. You know, uh, it translates as like reddish or rosy, a beautiful countenance and pleasing to look at in terms of having a kindliness to him. In verse 12, we see like, you know, he's good looking, you know, but it translates as like a, a, there's a kindliness to him. Like a, he's it, 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 like with you see people sometimes or not to get like, you know, psychoanalytical or anything like that. But sometimes you see people like, wow, you know, this looks like a nice guy. This looks like a nice lady. You know, it's kind of like that. And so remember, he's just arrived. This, the youngest, he's just arrived from keeping the sheep. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, 
for this is the one. Remember the Lord told Samuel, I'm going to show you, you know, do this, do this, you know, you know, this, Saul's going to kill me. Saul's going to kill me. You know, take, take, a, take a heifer with you. Take a heifer. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to show you the one. And all these, the, the, Samuel, he's been obedient to the Lord, doing everything in real time. The Lord gave him real time instruction and he's doing everything exactly like the Lord told him. And we see in verse 12, and the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is the one. You see, this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, this distressing spirit translates as an evil spirit. And the evil spirit troubles King Saul. And in verse 14 says, it's from the Lord. So we see something different. The very thing that the Lord told Samuel and Samuel said to King Saul that, you know, hey, your kingdom, you know, your kingdom. Remember when he tore the, the robe of, of uh, uh, Samuel and Samuel turns around and says, okay, the same way you did this, the kingdom is going to be torn from you as well. And so now we see things are put in motion. In that holy lineage. Remember Jesse? Remember our study in Ruth? At the end you see that, wow, this is a beautiful lineage. When we start to see Samuel's inclusion as a vessel of the Lord, Samuel's inclusion in something. I mean, it was, it's always been, you know, even from a young child, it's always been something so beautiful and something so holy. But like, you know, the extra icing, so to speak, it's like, whoa, this is huge. This is huge because he's partaking in the king of Israel. Not, not Saul, not David, but Jesus Christ, son of the most high God. And he will be crowned king one day. You and me today, we do it by faith. Jesus Christ is king of kings and lord of lords in our hearts. But there is coming a time when mankind Jesus will be crowned king of kings in the flesh. You see, the one that happened before, when he was crowned king in the flesh before, that was in mockery. The crown of thorns, it was in mockery. Very important to understand. And so we see things are in motion. Things are happening here. I mean, they've always been happening, but we start to see, you know, as new covenant believers, like this is a big deal. This is no small thing. And now we see in verse 14 that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and the the distressing spirit translates as an evil spirit. But we see that it's from the Lord. And we have to tread carefully here. Remember how when we were in Leviticus, remember the, the, the warning label that came with our study in Leviticus, how we're going to see like beautiful things in Leviticus, but as new covenant believers to not be seduced and to partake of those things in Leviticus, because, you know, remember how we had the, the warning label in, in Leviticus and we did these studies in Galatians. And so anytime we mention Leviticus, a very beautiful book, very, very beautiful book, but you have to surround it with Galatians and Hebrews and to understand the purpose of the law. And so in a similar manner, we have to be careful here because false doctrines have sprung from verses like this. We see verse 14, a distressing spirit. Some translations say an evil spirit and how it does translate in the Hebrew is an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. 
And false doctrines have, you know, created certain theories about this. And so when we look at the Hebrew and account for the it is also written, we see in verse 14 that, yes, it's an evil spirit. And it says it's from the Lord, but in the Hebrew, it's as a result of or as a re- uh, uh, by reason of. We know that God is reactionary. How God responds to obedience, he responds to disobedience, he responds to righteousness, he responds to wickedness, and he responds to repentance. So let's say, for example, a believer, there's a believer in this example. Let's say in this example, a believer has the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing. And the demons know it. The demons know. Remember with the sons of Siva, you know, Jesus, we know, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who are the, who in the world are you guys? He said that to the sons of Siva and they were using the name of Jesus Christ, but wrong formula, wrong formula. The deep, you know, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who in the world are you? And they lost, you know, wrong formula. They, they were using the name of Jesus, but at the same time, when the formula was wrong in them, the seven sons of Siva, hey, they lost. Don't expect victory if the formula is wrong in you. Do not expect victory. You will not have victory. And so a believer has the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's good, but the demons know it. But what happens when said believer starts to quench the Spirit? What happens when the believer extinguishes the spirit? What do you think the evil spirits will do then? Where before, you know, demons can't touch, you know. This guy has the Holy Spirit. This lady has the Holy Spirit. This boy has the Holy Spirit. This girl has the Holy Spirit. This old guy, this old lady, they have the Holy Spirit. Hey, demons can't touch. But when the Spirit has been extinguished, when the, when, the, when the Holy Spirit has been quenched and quenched and quenched and gets to the point of being extinguished, the demons can touch. You see, before, demons can't touch because the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit's been extinguished, demons can touch. We see this in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, where we see God's wrath on an individual basis, understand God's wrath is going to befall the earth. It is coming to this world. God's judgment, God's wrath, it is coming to this world. But at the same time, we see God's wrath on an individual basis. We see God's judgment when there is no love of the truth. No love of the truth. We see that as a result, it is God who sends strong delusion. That's God's judgment. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But where it turns to wrath, on an individual basis, God's judgment and wrath is coming to this world on a global scale. Actually, like literally on the world. Like, you know, the world, like, you know, land and water and the people, everything. But we see it on an individual basis. We see God's judgment when, you know, there is no love of the truth. And as a result, you know, strong delusion ensues. And what happens, you know, and it's given by God. God sends strong delusion that they will believe the lie, you see. And that's judgment because now truth is withheld. We've even seen that in our study in the book of Mark, how Jesus Christ goes into synagogue and he's open. 
He goes in the synagogue and he's open. He speaks open and plainly. And all of a sudden, as a result of their hearts, which are hard, all of a sudden, he starts to speak in parables. You see? Truth is withheld. Remember, you know, when they asked Jesus, they says, hey, you know, tell us by, you know, how do you do this? By, by what authority do you do, do you do this? And he says, okay, I'll answer your question, but first you answer me a question. And when they said, we don't know, he says, okay, neither will I tell you. You see, tr when truth becomes withheld, you see, very important. And it's all, it depends on the heart. The softer the heart, the better. Because truth is not without. I mean, when, when there's a heart that's softer than the softest jello, hey, it's like the, the Lord like reveal. I mean, you see Paul, the, the, you know, how, you know, how the Bible would say like, wow, this is a mystery. This is a mystery. The mystery of the Lord. The mystery of the Lord. But then you see Paul, hey, it's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. Even Paul, even Peter says, you know, you know, these, these teachers, they twist the scriptures, but Paul, hey, he knows his stuff. And it's not knowledge like an academic thing. It's not like, you know, you know, Paul was, you know, sitting down in a, in a school desk and, you know, listening to professor after professor after professor after professor after professor. And now he knows his stuff. No, his intimacy with the Lord. These are things that were revealed to him by the Lord. Remember, he did not confer with flesh flesh and blood. He did not confer with flesh and blood. He went to the Lord. You see? And so we see how truth becomes withheld, even in our study in the book of Mark. The softer the heart, the better. The harder the heart, the worse. Why? Because now truth is withheld. And so in 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, chapter 2, we see how uh, 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 truth is withheld and then strong delusion as a result. But then we go to Romans 1 and we see how in Romans 1, we see wrath on an individual basis. And in Romans 1, from verse 26, in Romans 1, from verse 26 on, we, saw, we see all kinds of works of the flesh. And in those works of the flesh, we can see demonic influence. One of the saddest parts in the entire Bible, one of the saddest parts in the entire Bible is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, which says, Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. God also, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. That's one of the saddest parts in the Bible. Because for God to also give up on a person, that means the person must first give up on God. Remember, God is reactionary. That's what happens when a heart becomes harder and harder and harder and harder. A person first gives up on God. Jesus, I want nothing to do with Jesus. God, I want nothing to do with God. And then God responds, God reacts. And when a heart becomes harder and harder and harder and harder and harder, you start to see the effectuation. You know, there's effectuation of good things. There's effectuation of bad things. You start to see the effectuation of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where truth becomes withheld and strong delusion ensues. And after, you know, in strong delusion, all of a sudden you get to Romans 1, where you start to see like, well, all the works of the flesh 
all the works of the flesh. And you see how it's the wrath of God upon individuals. Go and listen to our study in Romans chapter 1. Very important. And one of the saddest parts in the Bible is God also giving them up to uncleanness. You see? And we understand that a person must first give up on God. But then, you know, we see in Romans in chapter 1, verse 24, where it says God also gave them up to uncleanness. Does this mean that God makes them unclean? God gave them up. God also gave them up to uncleanness. Does this mean that God makes, makes them unclean? These are very big doctrinal matters because there are doctrines that teach, oh yeah, God makes sin. God created sin. God makes you sin. That's unbiblical. These are unbiblical doctrines, and this is these are found in Calvinism and Reformed theology. They call it theology, but it's a theory, and it's wrong. And you say, oh yeah, God makes you sin. God predestines people to hell, and as a result, you know, he makes things happen all by his will, and because you're predestined to hell, hey, he's going to make you sin. He's going to make you murder. He's going to make you do the rape. He's going to make you steal and be a thief. He's going to make you do that. That's unbiblical. God doesn't do that. And we see in Romans 1.24 that God also gave them up to uncleanness. Did, they, did, did God make them unclean? No. But that's what happens when a person first gives up on God and rejects the truth. And we see, wow, when a heart becomes harder and harder and harder and harder, this is when the Spirit of God is extinguished. Because this also happens to believers. This is, you know, this happens to believers. Very stern word. When you look at Romans 1, you know, and, you know, the, the end of Romans 1, you see, and, and those who are accepting of these things. And then you get to Romans 2, you know, where it speaks of the, uh, of the uh, 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 hypocrisy. It's uncleanness. Does this mean that God makes them unclean? And certain doctrines say, yes, God makes you sin. God, you know, you're predestined to hell, so God is going to make you do the rape and the murder and the thieving. God is going to make you do those things because you're predestined to hell, and it's by his will. And you're going to burn in hell, and it's to glorify God. You know, through your burning, you're going to glorify God. But that's unbiblical. That's idolatry. Because that's not a God of the Bible. And these doctrines, they refer to their God as sovereign. And it's idolatry because it is not the God of the Bible. We see a heart becoming harder and harder and harder. The spirit of the Lord is quenched. And when the spirit of the Lord is extinguished, and when a person is unclean, are we to expect now the demons to do nothing? You see, this is warfare. This is like hardcore warfare. And we do see this in former believers. Where you see a person is on fire for the Lord. And it's beautiful to see. But it's also dangerous with the youthful believers because there's no root. Remember our study in the book of Mark? There's no root. When there's no root, it's only a matter of time before the seed and what was grown gets choked out. We studied this in Mark. And one day a person was on fire for the Lord. Then five years later, they're doing the drugs, the sex, the Ouija boards. 
And sometimes you see people who are even demonically possessed, possessed. And they were former Christians. What happened? And you see this. And there are false doctrines that say, well, he was never really a Christian. Oh, she was never a Christian. But they're woefully mistaken. Because biblically what happened is a person extinguished the spirit. A person quenched the spirit, keeps quenching, you know, quenching, quenching, quenching. And the whole time the heart is getting harder and harder and harder. You know, works of the flesh like, oh, that seems a little off. These behavior traits, just like King Saul, these behavior traits. Well, that's a little off, King. That's a little off, King. You see these behavior traits and the heart is getting harder and harder and harder. These, these, these decisions of the flesh, these carnal decisions of the flesh. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is getting quenched and quenched and quenched. And it gets to a point where the Holy Spirit is extinguished. And the Bible says, don't do that. Do not quench the spirit, which translates in the Greek as do not extinguish the spirit. And then you have these doctrines, these false doctrines. Well, he was never really a Christian. Well, she was never really a Christian. No. They're wrong. And when a person extinguishes the Holy Spirit, you think the demons are going to do nothing? No, the demons have a free-for-all. They have a free And the uncleanness, it's only a matter of time that where the level of uncleanness gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Remember the example we gave where you and me were alcoholics? You and me were alcoholics in Corinth and, you know, we're, we're, the, the, the remnant, they don't want to fellowship with us anymore. And then we look at the bar, you know, every Friday night, every Saturday night, we go out and get drunk. And all of a sudden, we don't, we can't fellowship. Hey, those are our friends. They're like family to us. Those are our friends. We, we love those people. But they tell us, you know, because of our words, because of the flesh, they, they, they can't fellowship with us. They're, you know, we're just going to submit to Paul, you know. Oh, but this, you know, we tell them, oh, but, you know, this pastor says it's okay. Oh, Paul says he's a freak show, not to submit to him. We're going to submit ourselves to Paul. And so all of a sudden we look at the bar. It's Friday night. We look at the bar. It's like, wow, you know, there's, there's, th those guys were also in the church. Those ladies were also in the church. We look at the street corner, you know, the, doing the crack and all these. They were also in the church. Should we hang out with those guys? No, they're, they're, what, the alcohol doesn't have that flair anymore because now it came at a great cost. You see? Where we're on the outside now, just like, the, just like the, in the Old Testament you see leprosy. Well, we're on the outside now. And it hurts. And then we realize the error of our ways. And then we realize the uncleanness. You and me were filthy before the Lord. We're dirty before the Lord. And so what do we do? We repent. We fall on our knees. We fall on our faces. Lord, forgive me. And then we go to the fellowship and we remember 2 Corinthians where Paul says, Hey, bring them back in. Bring them back in. So beautiful to see. And that's you and me. You know, we're formerly unclean and now we're clean again. And we're back with, you know, we fellowship with Chloe once again. But then at the same time, we look at what about the other Christians? They were in the church and, you know, that Friday night. Remember, they were at the bar and they were on the street corner and doing all kinds of things. And now their uncleanness gets worse and worse and worse. They're quenching and quenching and quenching and now extinguished. You see, 
and the demons have a free-for-all. These are things that we can see. You see, I mean, you don't need me to tell you this because we've seen it and we do see it. We're like, wow, you know, 10 years ago, she was so on fire for the Lord. Five years ago, he was so on fire for the Lord. Look, he went to Bible college. He was going to be a pastor. This lady, she went to Bible college and she was going to be in ministry. And now, like, they're straight up demonic. How can that be? How can that be? Because according to certain doctrines, that cannot happen in a Christian home because of infant baptism. And it is impossible for that to happen. And, the, you know, infant, ba- you know, a, a fresh born, a freshly born baby, you know, two weeks old, you know, getting baptized. Okay. It's guaranteed that that baby is going to enter paradise when, you know, baby's going to be five years old, 10 years old, 50 years old, 80 years old and die. And it's guaranteed that baby's going to, you know, enter paradise. Infant baptism is unbiblical. Especially, you know, the the doctrines associated as a result of infant baptism, you know, and in certain doctrines, Calvinism and Reformed theology, they call theology, it's really a theory and it's wrong, it's unbiblical. But at the same time, certain, you know, infant baptism, all of a sudden, okay, this baby, she's guaranteed entry into paradise. Oh, this baby, he's guaranteed entry into paradise. You see, at age 25, he's doing the crack. At age 30, oh, you know, she's doing the the sex and the chakras and all kinds of different things. At age 22, doing the Ouija boards, doing the occult, doing the seances. Oh, but the doctrine says he's guaranteed paradise. The doctrine says that she's guaranteed paradise. And he's like, wow, she looks awfully demonic. Well, he looks awfully demonic, like straight up crazy town. Strong delusion. Then you start to see, well, wait a second. If this person says he was never really a Christian, if this person says she was never really a Christian, well, there's a major disconnect with the baptism that happened when he or she was just a baby. There's a major disconnect. You see, a house divided cannot stand. It doesn't fit the scriptures. It doesn't even fit their lie. And yet people hold strongly to these doctrines. Well, he was never really a Christian. She was never really a Christian. Well, according to the doctrine, no, that person has to be a Christian. That person has to be, you know, he or she has to be a Christian. And look, he's demonic. Look, she's doing the chakras. Look, he's doing the Ouija boards. Look, he goes to his seances. Look, she has the the pentagram. You know, she's doing her, her occult things with the pentagram. Oh, but she's guaranteed, you know, paradise. According to who? You can't say the Bible because that's unbiblical. So according to who? You see? We see these things happen. The process of apostasy. And I don't like saying process because it sounds too textbook. It sounds too rigid, you know, you know, the process of apostasy. It sounds too textbook. When we see, wow, you know, these behavior traits, like just like with the king, you know, King Saul, well, king, that's a little bit off. That's a little bit off. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. And remember last week in chapter 15, King Saul worshiping the Lord. Worshiping the Lord. You see? And you even see it today when apostasy sets in. 
even demonic possession in a former Christian, in a former believer. And uncleanness gets worse and worse and worse. Especially when, you remember the spiders and the grizzlies? Especially when the grizzlies come. Grizzly one, two, three, four. I mean, just one grizzly is bad. Who can find out one grizzly? What about multiple grizzlies? Remember the, the demon leaves and that's a you know, little demon. But Jesus says, you know, don't go on spiritual vacation, you know, don't, don't, don't uh, go to a fellowship where you're not being trained and equipped in the words of righteousness and in the word of truth. Because what happens, the demon leaves and oh, praise the Lord, you know, and that's a good thing when a demon leaves. But at the same time, little demon, he's going to come back with his big demons, you know, little spider demon is going to come back with his grizzly bear demons. And one grizzly is bad enough, but multiple with the spider, you see, who can fight night, that fight? And certain doctrines are gonna be exposed. They're already exposed, they've been exposed. I mean, like, you look at Hillsong today. Hillsong today, listen, if you're in Hillsong, hey, leave, leave, you gotta leave. I mean, we could list a whole bunch of different doctrines, but if you're in Hillsong, leave. Those are defunct pastors, defunct shepherds, straight up. False teachers, false prophets. No business at the pulpit. What happens is that when the grizzlies leave, you're not equipped to fight. You're not equipped to fight. And if you're not equipped to fight, I mean, it's one thing to flick a spider. That's a piece of cake. But when the grizzly comes, hey, you're not going to flick the grizzly. The grizzly is going to kill you. One grizzly is going to kill you. But what about when there's multiple grizzlies? You know, the demon leaves, but the demon comes back with other demons that are worse than him. And the Bible says, Jesus says, red letters. Jesus says, the state of that man is worse than the first. You see? Then you have these doctrines. Well, he was never really Christian. Oh, she was never really Christian. But what does that say of the red letters? You see? Because Jesus says, no, what happened is the state of that person is worse than the first. Why? Because he wasn't equipped. He was on spiritual vacation. She went on spiritual vacation. They don't want to train. They don't want to be equipped among the hardcore. And when I say hardcore, it's not carnal. I mean hardcore like Paul and James and Titus and Timothy. They don't want to train with the hardcore. You see? That's what's so beautiful about Philippian, the uh, Philippian letter. Because, you know, when you look at the book of Acts and you see, like, the Philippian church, you don't see Paul write, but, you know, you know, there's warnings for the Philippian church, but it's warning as preventative. It's not warning as, like, in Corinth, there's warning, like, hey, you know, it's, it's warning, but it's more like, you know, the, 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 your, your, your rejoicing is not good. It's, it's more, uh, uh, we'll say, judgmental. It's more judgmental. He's oh, but the Bible says we're not supposed to judge. Remember, crino, anacrino, diacrino. Only one is forbidden. Very important to understand. Only one is forbidden. You can't say, hey, you're going to burn in hell. You're condemned to hell. You're going to burn in hell. No one can say that. Only Jesus can. But anacrino and diacrino, hey, those are in play. And Jesus says, you know, uh, do not judge lest you be judged. But don't forget what is also written, accounting for that whole passage. Jesus says, take out the plank in your own eye. 
and then you can judge you see then you can clean then you can anacrino and diacrino because you can see clearly and so Paul, he does the anacrino and diacrino with Corinth. But you see, in the Philippian church, he doesn't do that. He warns them, but it's not warning that, you know, you've done this. You know, in Corinth, you know, there's warning, but it's warning because you've done this. But in Philippi, there's Philippians, there's warning, but it's softer because that hasn't happened. But then you look at the inception of the church in Philippi, and you see a bunch of jailbirds. Remember the Philippian jail, you know, you know when the, the, the jailer, hey, he was going to commit suicide, I'm going to kill myself because there was the earthquake, everybody left, and they're going to kill me. And then you, Paul says from his, shouts out, hey, don't kill yourself, don't kill yourself. We're all here. We're all here. And you look at the book of Philippians, and you see, wow, a bunch of jailbirds. Praise be to the Lord, you see a bunch of jailbirds. And it's so beautiful to see, like, think of the uncleanness of their lives before they came to Christ. And then now that they're in Christ, the Philippian church, now that they're in Christ, all of a sudden you see like, wow, this is such a beautiful church. Good pastors, good shepherds, good overseers, good elders, qualified, full package, because you don't see the problems that you see in Corinth. You don't see the problems that you see in Galatia. And then you look at the inception Wow, they're jailbirds. You see? Praise be to the Lord. Former jailbirds. Praise be to the Lord. And that's what's happening here with Saul. King Saul. It's a result of his own choice. Choices, pluralized, to disobey the Lord continually. Remember last week? He's worshiping the Lord. Last week, he's worshiping the Lord. And it has the appearance of something good. But as a result of his own choices to disobey the Lord continually, the Spirit of God is being quenched more and more and more and more. And it gets to a level where now it's a free-for-all on King Saul. Just like the demons. When the demons have a free-for-all, you know, when a Christian quenches the spirit, quenches, 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 and then finally, it's extinguished. I shouldn't say it, but the Holy Spirit is extinguished because the Holy Spirit is a He, triune nature of God, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Elohim, in the beginning, Elohim, the triune nature of God. And the Holy Spirit becomes extinguished. You think the demons are going to do nothing? No, it's a free-for-all. That's what's happening with King Saul. Free-for-all on King Saul. So it's very important to understand the Hebrew and also account for the it is also written because there are these false doctrines say, well, you know, you know, the, 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 this, this spirit of the Lord, you know, in verse 14, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit or the evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And these false doctrines say, well, you know, you know, God is making him sin. No, he's not. Just like when in, in Romans chapter one, you know, is, is God making them and is, is God is God making them unclean? No. It's a result of their own choices. Saul, King Saul, he's making his choices. But his choices have an impact on his cleanliness before the Lord. The same way you and me, the same way our choices, the same exact way. Our choices have an impact on our cleanliness before the Lord. You see? 
So we get to verse 15 now in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek at a man who is a skillful player of the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So so Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. You know, it's so beautiful because there's no coordination of David trying to do this or Samuel trying to do that. Remember, Samuel went home. Samuel, he's in Ramah. The, the, the prophet of the Lord, intimacy with the Lord. Remember, Samuel, he's in Ramah. Remember verse 13, he went home. And yet things are happening organically, if you will. No manipulation of man. In verse 19, therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, and said send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Who is with the sheep? You know, I love this so much because you don't see presumption with David. Oh, you know, you know, we're like, you know, uh, oh, okay, you know, uh, I'm the future king. I'm the future. No, he's with the sheep. No, he's with the sheep. In verse 20, and Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. Remember, David has a pleasantry about him. His countenance is beautiful, and the Spirit of God is with him. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me. King Saul sent to Jesse, the dad, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And it was so, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Now, we can't read through this nonchalantly. This 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 troubling spirit from God. David plays the harp. You know, and, and, and when you, when you read this like in a nonchalant manner, it's like okay, so he plays his harp. You know, no big deal. No, this is a very huge deal, a very 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 huge deal, because King Saul, he's playing a very dangerous game, a very dangerous game. He's teetering on something very dangerous. He's lukewarm. He's lukewarm. He's been quenching. He's been quenching and quenching and quenching and quenching and quenching. And it's like flickering. You know, you ever see like a like a a, a flashlight that's low on batteries? And you know, when it's brand new battery, it's like it's like super bright. It's like blinding light. But when it's low on batteries, you know, it starts to dim and then you know it starts to flicker. And that's what's happening with King Saul. He's flickering. He's been quenching, 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 quenching. And he's flickering. And he's flickering big time, you know, like a like a flashlight, you know, you, you shake it a little bit, like, you know, it goes out and then you shake it a little bit and then it's like dim. You get like, you know, maybe like five minutes of light left, but it's not like continuous light. It's a dim light and it's like flickering. Sometimes it's off for like 10 seconds. Then it goes on for five seconds. Then it's off again for 30 seconds and you shake it and, it's, uh, and then finally figure, okay, it's out. That's what's happening with King Saul. He's quenching and quenching and quenching and that light is flickering. And it's a free-for-all on King Saul. A free-for-all. The spirit would come on Saul. 
the distressing spirit. It translates as an evil spirit. And then David would play his harp. And when David played his harp, we see here, it is written here in verse 23, David would play his harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well. And the distressing spirit would depart from him. You know, how beautiful is it to see the ability of a person outside of oneself to impact for the good, for the betterment of another. We see that with Samuel unto Israel, Samuel unto Saul, Samuel unto David. But at the same time, each individual person has a choice to make. You see? It's so powerful, so beautiful. And when done right, when done and conducted in a manner as directed in the blueprints found in the Word of God, then we have effectuation. You see? And Paul says to the church, hey, rejoicing isn't good. Remember Brother James? Hey, when you pray, you ask, but you don't receive because you ask amiss. Then he says, you adulterers and adulteresses. The problem's not the Lord. The problem's not prayer. The problem is you. Wrong formula. And he says, lament. Now's not a time for joy. You have to lament. Why? Because the formula's not right. You need to repent. Let's get you cleaned up so that the formula can be right. And that when you pray, you will receive. Why? Because you're not asking for the Lamborghini. You're not asking for a Ferrari. You know, Lord, please give me a Ferrari. I know people who do that. They like fast. They're going to go to the casino. And like a week prior, before they go to the casino, they're like fasting and they're praying, you know, Lord, you know, let me hit it big. Let me, you know, good good deal on the cards. You know, let me roll the dice in a, in a holy manner. Let me roll the dice. And, you know, if you make me a millionaire, if you make me win millions, I'll, I'll, I'll be hardcore. I won't give you 10%. Lord, I'll give you 15%. And they fast and they pray and then they go to the casino, they lose everything. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. They lose everything. Because they're playing games with the Lord. They're playing games with Him. And maybe they will get to a point where they're humbled so that they can repent and be restored by the Lord. Now we've come to the end of our study here. But I want to say something really quick. To the lukewarm Christian. The lukewarm Christian. If that is you, if you are a lukewarm Christian, listen, I love you very much, but you're playing a very dangerous game. You're playing a very, very dangerous game. Thinking you're okay, but let me tell you something. You're not okay. You're not okay because quenching and quenching and quenching and quenching the Spirit of the Lord Quenching and quenching and quenching. Listen, the demons know it. And lukewarm, you might even reach a point where it's a free-for-all on you. And like Saul, quenching and quenching and quenching. Like Saul, you're tormented. And I've had these conversations with Christians. Oh, help me out. I'm being tormented. I'm under spiritual attack. I'm being tormented. The demons are doing this. The demons are doing that. And sometimes it's a matter of like, wait a second, you know, not to, not to have sympathy for the devil, but sometimes it's like, wait a second. Okay. You're, you know, you, you lay it out. You say this, you say that, but you know, not to have sympathy for the devil, but I don't see demonic activity here. 
This is a result of your own choice. And sometimes that's the case. But other times where there is bona fide demonic activity, where yes, there's demonic oppression and hardcore demonic oppression, where like, whoa, this is heavy, where it's borderline possession. To talk to a believer, a Christian, and talk about their history, just like a five-month history, maybe even like a year history, and say, listen, that was a bad choice you made. That was a bad choice, your behavior, your conduct. That was a bad choice you made. And when a person realizes, oh my goodness, I'm filthy, I'm dirty before the Lord. Okay, praise the Lord. You're dirty before the Lord. And I don't say, you know, praise the Lord or you're dirty. Praise the Lord that we've identified and you have, you know, uh, 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 acknowledge your filth before the Lord. And now let's get you cleaned up. And there are Christians like this. Christians who are lukewarm. And Jesus says, because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out. It's a very dangerous game to be lukewarm because you're at the very precipice of extinguishing the Lord. Quenching, 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 not good. And sometimes these Christians, they're tormented. And we have these conversations, they're like crying, like, oh, you know, I'm under demonic attack, demonic attack. It's okay, tell me, tell me, what, tell me what's happening. Let's talk about this. And sometimes it's like, well, you know, that's not the demons. That's your own, you know, your own stupidity, your own choices that you made. But sometimes it's legit. Sometimes it's like, okay, this is, this is serious business. This is demonic. But why are the demons, why do the demons have this power? Why do the demons have this ability over you? When the Bible says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Why is it that these weapons are prospering? Is the Bible fake? Did God lie? Nope. Problem's not the Lord. Problem's not prayer. So what's left? Who's left? Oh, but my pastor told me this. Hey, your pastor's a freak show. Your pastor's not training you. He's not equipping you. Oh, my pastor's a female. There you go. Wrong formula. You see? And these Christians today are being tormented. Understand, you know, when we, when we talk about the process, I don't like saying process, but when we talk about the process of becoming apostate, there's major demonic activity unto the apostate, and they think they are in the right. And even, just like Saul in chapter 15, worshiping the Lord. Remember remember the hills? On one hill, chapter 15, you see like, wow, you know, Saul's worshiping the Lord. But on the other hill where you see the intimacy with Samuel and the Lord, the Lord says, hey, no, I've rejected him. I've rejected him. And people can see Saul, wow, look, he's worshiping the Lord. Wow, that's so cool. That's so cool. But when we understand formula, you see like, wow, you know, the Lord has rejected him. And if you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, and you know that you're lukewarm. One foot in the church, one foot in the world. One foot in the Bible, one foot in the world. Or, you know, I love Jesus, but wow, I love my sex. I love Jesus, but wow, I love the strippers. I love Jesus, but wow, I love the crack. Well, I love Jesus, but wow, I love the cocaine. Oh, I love Jesus, but I love the Ouija boards, the, the crystals, the Buddha, the chakras. I love all kinds of, you know, the Krishna. I love all of it, but I love Jesus. Listen, that's lukewarm. And you're quenching and quenching and quenching and quenching. And you're even tormented. 
you're even tormented. Just like Saul, who's also lukewarm. And remember, I'm speaking to the lukewarm. I'm not saying, you know, blanket statement like, you know, you're lukewarm. No, this is specifically for the lukewarm. If this is you, you are in extreme, extreme danger because what's happening, you're getting closer and closer and closer and closer to extinguishing the spirit of God. And at that point, hey, the demonic free-for-all, it only gets worse. It intensifies and gets heavier and heavier. You know, the grizzlies, hey, they don't play games. They're, they're killers. The grizzlies, they're killers. It's not like a little, you know, like the, like a little, you know, slap, slap. No, the, the grizzlies, no, they, they handle serious business. They destroy. And it can even reach levels of possession, demonic possession. And if you're lukewarm, you guys say, well, wait a second. I'm okay. My pastor says, you know, once saved, always saved. My pastor tells me, listen, your pastor's a freak show. Get a new pastor. You've been taught wrong and you're in extreme danger. So if that is you and you are lukewarm and you acknowledge like, okay, this guy makes a point. I'm lukewarm. Listen, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up and let's end the torment. Now we've reached our, the end of our study here in chapter 16. But listen to, an, if you're lukewarm, listen to another message. It's called how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. You recommit your life to Jesus. And you and me, let us walk together. You and me together. Why? Because we're going to paradise. We're going to paradise. And then you go to thewayunderground.com. Thewayunderground.com. And listen to the studies on the gospel. Through the book of Mark. And then the studies on growing in Christ. And you and me. Let us both, let us learn and grow in the ways of righteousness. And that's for the lukewarm. Be tormented no more. And let's be clean. Let's be pure before the Lord. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.